So we expect most movies nowadays to have some sort of twist ending to them. The sort of linear plot of good guy resists and eventually defeats bad guy is a bit old-fashioned, and I guess people think it's disappointing. I still like it, but movies make me nervous. So I like it when I know what's going to happen at the beginning. So this... The surprise, though, people think, is the exciting part. And it's less exciting, though, if the surprise doesn't work in our favor. The day of the Lord was a hopeful expectation in much of Israel's thought. Isaiah proclaimed against Babylon in Isaiah 13, 4-6, the sound of a tumult is on the mountains as of a great multitude. The sound of an uproar of kingdoms, of nations gathering together. The Lord of hosts is mustering an army for battle. They come from a distant land, from the end of heavens. The Lord and the weapons of his indignation to destroy the whole land. Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. As destruction from the Almighty, it will come. And again, Isaiah spoke against Egypt, the the prototypical, the paradigmatic enemy of God. Again, using day of the Lord language in chapter 19. In that day, the Egyptians will be like women and tremble with fear before the hand of the Lord of hosts shakes over them. And the land of Judah will become a terror to the Egyptians. Everyone to whom it is mentioned will fear because of the purpose that the Lord of hosts has purposed against them. The day of the Lord was this cataclysmic event when God would come to judge His enemies. Of course, that judgment upon the enemies would free God's own people from those same enemies. We have even already encountered this theme of the day of the Lord in Joel. Joel 1.15 said, Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near, and as destruction from the Almighty it comes. Sounding similar to Isaiah 13. And Joel returns to this same idea in chapter 2. Verse 1, Blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm, On my holy mountain, let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near. And the surprise, the twist ending, so to speak, in Joel 2, is that this event of judgment against God's enemies is coming upon the people of Israel. It would be beyond shocking for the people of Israel to hear that this event that they had always expected to be their ultimate rescue has now become their own day of judgment. And yet, as we thought about last week, they should have known that that would happen. Should they not? We looked last time under chapter 1 how the locusts described in this book, which are 
figurative for the destruction of coming armies were part of the covenant curses built into Deuteronomy 28. So built into God's relationship with national Israel. And so Israel should have known that their ongoing disobedience would enact the covenant penalties against them. And that the prophets themselves functioned as covenant lawyers. There, there's a lot of speak about this idea in, in books about the prophets. And it's, it's crucial to understanding these books. The, the prophetic role did not drop out of the, the sky, but was built into the way that God made a covenant with His people. Now, Okay, so a covenant isn't an overly fancy thing. I know it's sort of one of these big theological words, but it's actually not that scary. It essentially means a formal or a legal relationship. That's all it is. In the case of covenants between God and people, covenants are essentially official, formal relationships that state the obligations for both God and the people involved. Now, once God has made a given covenant, that its terms are legally binding on both sides. In the case of this covenant with Israel, what people have called the Mosaic Covenant, which had a role for the nation as a whole, a national entity, to be obedient to the law in order to be able to keep living in the land, the prophets often often functioned as lawyers who delivered God's legal charges against the people who were breaking the law. It's not the only thing they did, but it was certainly an important thing that they did. We should read Joel then, at least Joel 1, 1 to 2.17, as a section that records Joel's prophetic indictment of as the covenant lawyer prosecuting God's people, God's own people, for their offenses. The, the first half of the book, in other words, is about curses. The main point that we'll think about in our text today is that we cannot blame the culture for our problems. We have to look to ourselves and run to Christ. We can't blame the culture for our problems. We must repent and run to Christ. We'll think about this in three points. Rebellion, ruin, and redemption. So first, rebellion. And at this point, I want to establish the, the pattern of, of judgment coming upon Israel's passage. So we see in verse 1, and then again in verses 15 to 17, God's call to respond to the prophetic summons. Blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It's near. Then in verses 15 to 17, blow the trumpet in Zion, that same refrain from verse 1. Consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, consecrate 
the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even nursing infants, let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep and say, Spare your people, O Lord, and make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, Where is their God? So, note here, the call to blow the trumpet. That's the beginning and ending summons of this passage. But but that call to blow the trumpet is language of military watchmen who were to guard over the city and let the inhabitants know when an invading army approached. We, we saw in chapter 1 how likely the Assyrian troops had descended on Samaria already, the, the northern kingdom, the capital there. And now here in Jerusalem, the capital of the southern kingdom, Judah, there is an alert of coming judgment. And now, interestingly, I think, In these verses, the trumpet call that would normally beckon soldiers to battle stations now sounds the alarm that Israel must gather for worship. The holy mountain is the temple complex where they must go. They need to consecrate fast and meet for an assembly of worship. And what that tells us is that This is not a simple issue of geopolitical conflict that can be solved by outgunning their enemies. No. Even though the soldiers whom Joel foresaw belong to a real human empire, they are coming for Jerusalem because God is now fighting His own people. Because they have rebelled against their covenant Lord. Further, Joel's description of these judgments are are actually really fascinating. We already noted last time some of the significance of the locust as a covenant curse from Deuteronomy 28. But we might also think back as well to Exodus 10, 12-14, which says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts so that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every plant in the land, all that the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day and all that night. When it was morning, the east wind had brought the locusts. The locusts came up over all the land of Egypt and settled on the whole country of Egypt. Such a dense Swarm of locusts as had never been before, nor ever will be again. In this case, locusts were also God's covenant curse against his enemy nations. And if we jump a bit further down to Exodus 10, 21 to 23, then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be a darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness 
in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. We can follow that up as well in Deuteronomy. The Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of mind, and you shall grope even at noonday as the blind grope in darkness, and you shall not prosper in your ways. And these passages, the point here, so let's draw it together. These passages should shape the way that we read verses like Joel 2, 2. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. Like blackness, there is spread upon the mountains a great and powerful people. Their like has never been before, nor will be again after them through the years of all generations. The the darkness falling upon God's people is not some arbitrary natural calamity. Joel again here speaks in this metaphorical language reflecting the penalties for breaking God's covenant with Israel. We see this darkness language is metaphorical for the incoming armies in verses 10 to 11. The earth quakes before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and the moon are darkened. And the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord utters His voice before His army, for His camp is exceedingly great. He who executes His word is powerful. For the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? Further, this curse language also informs Jerusalem. And here's... The twist, the payoff. This curse language informs Jerusalem that God is treating them the same way that He treated Egypt. The pivotal, paradigmatic enemy of God's people. God now considers His own people to be His enemy. Verse 3 that we considered last week draws that connection between Israel before the armies as a Garden of Eden, a paradise that will be left utterly destroyed. And we can draw from that they're in a similar condition as Adam. He was in paradise, and if he had been faithful, he would have continued in paradise. But he failed. And Israel also broke the covenant that God made with them and brought curses upon themselves just like Adam did in Eden. And the rest of verses 2-11 to speak fairly straightforwardly about the destruction that this enemy army will bring. The rebellion is that God's people have betrayed Him because they love their sin and brought destruction upon themselves. That brings us to our second point, the ruin. Okay, the last point was tried to show that this text is a, a judgment oracle in the genre of a covenant lawsuit. Joel the lawyer prosecuting 
the people from God who had, and the people had broken their part of the covenant. It depicted impending doom against God's people. The point was clear that God was coming up against his people and using foreign armies to do so. And now we need to draw some connections to our own lives. What do we do with this? And I want to start by placing ourselves in the shoes of the Israelites as they know how the northern kingdom had been destroyed. And they had heard of this calamity coming upon them next. Joel has his eye on the broader society that has broken God's covenant. But we might ask, what about those individuals in Israel who loved the Lord? I hope we remember that people ever since the fall always have been saved in the same way, by grace alone, through faith alone, in the Savior, whether that faith looked forward to the Savior who would come, or like us, back to the Savior who has come. If we think about Joel's hearers in that case, we know that it was a mixed audience of people who are the direct cause of this terrible calamity and those who have been trusting God's promises and loving Him the best they can. Both people are present. So what were those people who have been trying to pursue the Lord to think? How would they feel in this instance? The world is falling apart around them and it appears like it might even get worse. And these people who have been faithful to God are no doubt left wondering, but God, what what can we do? And in that way, we can, here today, can feel similarly to how these Israelites did, can we not? If we think that these faithful Israelites lived right in the midst of this society that was bringing down God's judgment, we can sympathize, can't we? With believers watching their culture fall to ruins in rebellion against God. And the difference is simply a matter of our nation never made a covenant with God. God never made a covenant here. He bound himself in this way only with ancient Israel. And we don't appeal to this Mosaic covenant for why our culture is seeing the effects of its rebellion against the Lord. But, maybe we could think of the prophet Amos. Another minor prophet in the northern kingdom. Likely during the same era as Joel. Maybe slightly before. And how, in chapters 1 and 2, Amos proclaimed judgment against the nations. And there's this fascinating pattern where he cycles through the surrounding neighboring nations 
Remember, he's preaching in Samaria. So first he, he preaches against the kingdom of Judah in the south. Probably to the delight of the Samarians. And then he turns his judgment lastly of his own people. The surprise twist ending for his readers and hearers. And there's some premise at work there, if we think hard enough, that allows the prophets to indict the nations and indict God's people in tremendously similar ways. We might think then of Romans 2, 14-16. For when Gentiles who do not have the law... By nature, do what the law requires. They are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness. And their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men. By Christ Jesus. And so what that tells us, what that tells us is that all people of every nation know by nature what the God's law requires of them and that they are accountable to it. And yet, people rebel against this knowledge. Knowledge that God has hardwired into us as people made in his image. Romans 1, 18-20 For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men who, listen, by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. In other words, no ungodliness in this world happens by accident. Nor does it happen because We didn't know any better. All ungodliness is express action of rebellion against what people do know about God and what He requires. And so every nation, every person in every nation is guilty under God, whether that nation was in covenant with Him or not, because God's law is universally known. So this means that all the progressive movements in our society that call evil good and good things evil are not acts of ignorance, but treason against the God of the universe. And we have to remember, though, This is the difficult part, I think, to keep in mind. That nations are full of ungodliness 
only because people in them are ungodly. Before we get swept into feeling too sorry for ourselves, we have to remember that we are some of those ungodly people. All of us are sinners who have in many times and in many ways rebelled against God. And so when we look around and see the culture is rising in wickedness as it was for Joel, we can look at people just like us to blame. The problem is not out there. The problem starts at home. In our hearts. The ruin is that sin always brings the disintegration of society. That brings us to our last point, redemption. Okay, so, so far we have seen that judgment was coming upon God's own nation because they have rebelled against their Lord. We have also seen that this judgment was a a small example of what will come upon all the people who rebel against the Creator. The day of the Lord will come, and it will come as an event of recompense. And yet, there's a second twist ending here. The New Testament often turns this day of the Lord, for them a day of judgment, the New Testament turns it back into a promise of rescue for Christians. Mark thirteen twenty six to 27 And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. This this day of the Lord becomes the day of full salvation for those in Christ. And so we ask, we have to ask, don't we? What is the difference between Israel in that foreshadow of the ultimate day of the Lord in Joel and that ultimate day of the Lord at Christ's return for us. Why would God treat His people like enemies in Joel but treat us like allies at His coming? And the reason is that God has removed the reason to treat us like enemies. Paul wrote in Romans 5.11, More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Reconciliation is not, it's not simply committing to feel better again about another person. Reconciliation is about taking away, removing from the situation any cause of hostility between two enemies. The cause of hostility is removed in reconciliation. 
And the simple fact is that God has already judged us in Christ and executed the full force of His wrath that was due to us on our Savior. Galatians 2, 19 and 20. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. And so we are to answer to verse 12 of Joel 2 where God calls us to return to Him. We don't rend our clothes. We don't express our repentance in mere outward acts, but we rend our hearts, tear them apart in repentance, going to God as our hope to find grace and mercy in the God who promises to be gracious and merciful. Christ died in our place because we were God's enemies. Now that God has removed the cause of hostility between us, the day of the Lord changes from the day of our judgment into the day of our redemption. Christ, the Son of God, came and died for us so that we might no longer be God's foes, but God's friends. God has committed to us in the new covenant in Christ that if we would take hold of Jesus by faith, we would find shelter from the coming judgment. We can now look forward to God's coming, knowing that it will be the day that we are installed in God's house forever. No matter where or when we live, society will likely always turn against God. But we trust that our Savior stands in heaven right now, building a kingdom, a culture, a society for us, a perfect one, full of love for the Lord, that He will give us when He returns. Let's pray and give thanks for that. Father God, your people often are short of wisdom, confused about what to do as we look at the world around us and how it hates you. And we see in Joel that that is not a new thing, that the people who were faithful to you, 
very likely, almost certainly, we can say they looked around their society and thought, what's happening? Where is God and what can we do? And we see that as you have preserved a remnant throughout time, you will always keep your people. We know that you will have your church in every place around this world. And we pray not only for ours, but for all of those churches around this globe that you would protect them from the decay of society, that you would keep them pure, that you would make them love holiness. And we pray that for us, that you would drive deep within us a love for your scriptures, a love for your law, that we would pursue it and your will for our lives. And we pray that you would be at work in sinful hearts, those who do not know you, even this morning, even if there are some here, that they would turn to Christ now, that the day of the Lord for them would no longer be a day of judgment, but of redemption. And we pray that you would plant a root deeply in each of our hearts that trust in Christ, that we would look forward to that day, that we would be excited to see our Savior come and rescue us in full and give us a home in a kingdom that is full of your glory. And we pray these things for his sake. Amen.